this episode of the Higher Ed Shift, Carlo and I sit down and talk about what it was like for him as a trained economist specializing in finance in college, someone who talks about this journey day in and day out, to experience the college shopping and financing journey as a parent. We talk about the easiest, hardest, and most surprising steps along the way that he and his daughter faced. More than anything, our conversation highlights how complex and difficult paying for college can be, even for someone who should be the best position to navigate it, leaving us to ask how hard it must be for students and families who are undergoing the same journey with limited knowledge and experience to lean on. Join us in our conversation as we jump into his journey and what it was like navigating paying for college. Welcome back, everybody. This week, as we come into August, thought that we would start talking a little bit about back to school season and maybe what that means for for us as as parents, um, and you know, for 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 those of us in Arizona, back to school starts probably way earlier than people in other parts of the country. I'm the parent of an eighth grader, which means back to school for me is backpacks, Chromebooks, clothing, haircuts, all those things. But Carlo, it's a little bit different in your household, huh? Well, I have two kids. I have one kid who is back to school, uh, who will be a junior in high school this year. Uh, but I'm in California, not Arizona. But we is also she back already. Nope, she starts mid-August. So. Yeah. She's two weeks away from uh, two weeks away from her first day of school, which is still pretty early, though, by East Coast standards, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then I have a daughter who will be starting college in uh, the week after that. So in three weeks time. So very exciting. Wow, that's kind of kind of crazy to think about the fact that you've really spent your entire career and even your your academic years in, in your Ph.D., you know, working in education and education financing. So one would think that you were probably best positioned to navigate the last year in helping her shop for college and figure out how she's going to finance it. And so just thought it would be really interesting to hear your perspective about what you've experienced over the last year. And as someone who should be best positioned to navigate this process, where did you guys have bumps or hiccups along the way? And because those are things that we can definitely learn from, right? Like if there's something that derailed you guys, right? I feel like our first gen low income people who are trying to navigate this on their own have no chance when, when it comes to similar, similar things. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, you know, to, to level set, right. If, If you think about, uh, you know, where we sit in the demography chain, right? Like my daughter has uh, parents who both have college educations uh, where, you know, we, we, we earn a fair amount of money. We're definitely not wealthy. We're also definitely not low income. Mm-hmm. Um, two kids, right? Grew up in the suburb. Kids went to schools where they had good opportunities to take AP courses and well-resourced districts where they can do cultural things. So um, I say all this because I think you're right. Like as somebody who comes into this 
with a fair amount of knowledge about how it's supposed to unfold. This last year has been really amazing for me because I've you know, gotten to be on the parents' side of the financial aid process and the buying college and thinking about college process. And it looks totally different <laughs> than the process that I spend my days, you know, talking and thinking about. So it's really just been a, um, a very different experience, right? Does it and confirm I, the complexity of it? Does it does? Like it's really hard to not look at this process and just think, man, um, you know, this under the best circumstances, paying for college is just simply not easy. I think the only, I think for the only, the only people who probably have an easy go of paying for college are those are are billionaires, right? Where they mm. just you know, pick a school, write a check, and then you're done, right? Like there's no financial aid, there's no this, there's no that. You just, you know, but for everybody else, if you have to fill out a single form or undergo a single process, that's really um, far more complicated than I think, uh, I don't think any policymakers and pundits realize, even though a lot of us have had kids go through the process. Mm -hmm. Well, you think about it, even the super wealthy who was the who was the former CEO of Sally Mae that came out the other oh. day and was complaining about how expensive college was? Al Lord, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. So even even people with a lot of money complain about right. well, they complain about how many zeros they have to put on the check, not how hard it is to write it. <laughs> right, that's exactly right. But I think even still, like I would imagine that you know it was probably more than just writing a check, right? There's still. Maybe. You know, and, and and part of part of it's not buying the college, part of it's picking the college as well. And mm-hmm. again, for a lot of people, you know, picking the college usually has some kind of how much does it cost component to it, right? Like yeah. so cost shows up everywhere, creeps up in every aspect of the decision. Sure does. So as we as we kind of dive into your story, help level set a little bit about your experience. Uh, and it maybe talk a little bit about how you and Emily approached finding a college first, right? Because b- before we have to worry about funding it, we we have to get through the shopping process. So, you know, what was what was the most important thing to her as she began this search as she was looking for colleges? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. We, um, you know, first of all, I say we because it was a we thing, right? Like we had a lot of conversations. Yeah about where she wanted to go to college and what she wanted to do. And there was a lot of myth dispelling that had to be done up front. Like what? Well, she was really focused on like, oh, I want to go to this college for this program or this college for that program. And, you know, there's a lot of, hey, listen, right? At the undergraduate level, just getting a degree is really what matters. It's graduate school where schools are particularly known for economics program or their political science program or their marketing program or their journalism program. And so, um, you know, that was, that was step number one. And, you know, step number two is that, you know, we're having these conversations, um, you know, me with a 17 year old and she wanted to stay in California. Again, we live in the Los Angeles area. Uh, she didn't want to leave the state. She wanted to stay relatively close by. Um, but she wanted to commute or she not commute, but she wanted to be away from home. She wanted to have mm-hmm. that live on campus experience. And so obviously all these things constrained our choice sets. Like, okay, you want to stay in California. Uh, you want to be far enough away from home that you can like have this residential experience. Um, you know, yeah, but, but 
California, like, I've been to LA in California. That means she could go to a college that's three miles from your house. And that's still a so, long <laughs> enough commute that she needs to live on campus. <laughs> that That is technically true. There are no three are, hours later. Every, everything in Los Angeles is all traffic is measured in how long it takes rather than how far it is. That's absolutely right. Um, but, you know, again, though, you know, I mean, you go south to San Diego, you go north to the Bay Area. And, you know, any, anything East really outside of like Riverside and you're just, you know, you're in another state anyway, you're talking Mm -hmm. about, uh, and you're talking about Nevada. So, um, so even just thinking about what school she wanted to apply to, like the first step was, you know, thinking about the geography and thinking about where she could go. And the next step in that was, okay, well, if you want to stay in California, it's obvious you should apply to the university of California schools. She's academically a great student. Um, you know, and she should apply to the Cal State schools because they're also academically rigorous and very good schools as well, too. And so, you know, that's what we looked at. And that's what she ended up settling. Right. We said, OK, let's apply to a mix of those of those kinds of schools and let's see how everything shakes out. So how many schools did she end up applying to? I just always find it curious to find out how many schools students are applying to, because I think this year in particular, students, the number of schools that they actually applied to exploded. They don't yeah. have any hard data to, to tie that to. Well, I think she ended up applying to eight or nine schools, which again, seems high. We don't really have any good cat. You know, we don't have any good evidence for how many people the average, you know, how many, you know, how many places the average student applies to. Um, but there's some casual evidence that says, you know, anywhere from six to 10 schools is not unreasonable. You know, you throw in a couple safety schools, you throw in a couple reach schools, you throw in a couple schools in, in your sweet spot. You can easily see how you can get to six pretty quickly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, she applied to eight or nine, right? And so, um, you know, California makes it a little bit easier. Again, like there's an application process for the Cal State schools, mm-hmm. application process for the UC schools. Cal State system does not require essays. Right, which makes applying to them also a lot easier in terms of burden, yes. right? Just completing the information. So it was in relative terms easy for her to apply to a lot of what I would call good schools, because again, the California system, um, you know, in general is widely regarded as having good academic offerings and it provides degrees that have carrying value. Mm-hmm. So I know that you said that the two of you talked a lot uh, throughout the process, even trying to figure out major and what type of school she should go to. But I know that there's also a little bit more complexity because you and her mom are no longer together. So there's there's conversations maybe that happen with mom and happen with you. Did So was the whole family kind of involved in, in every part or was she having conversations with you guys separately about about the college choice process? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think she, like most students, had lots of conversations with lots of people, right? I think she had conversations with me. I know she had conversations with her mom, but I know she had conversations with her friends as Mm -hmm. well. And I know she had a couple conversations with people at her high school also. And so like a good shopper, she went out and she talked to a lot of people and she had those conversations with different people based on she wanted to do. And she did a lot of web searching, right? She did a lot of, I can't tell you how many text messages I have, you know, with check out this link, look at that link. What do you think about this school? How about that? Like, you know, so I I know she was out searching. I know she was out exploring. I know she was, 
trying to understand the academic offerings that they have. And, um, but interestingly, and I know we'll get into this, like all of that searching, uh, all of that interest, and none of it really was price-driven or cost-driven. She wasn't talking cost at this point. She wasn't talking about how to pay for it. She was just talking about where she would like to go and where she thought she could go. So yeah. it's very, there was probably one conversation, the should I go in-state or out-of-state conversation where price factored into the mix. Yeah. And I had to explain like, hey, even, a, even, even an out-of-state school, I know she was looking at University of Arizona, for example, like, hey, like Arizona's, University of Arizona is a public school, but if you're from California and you go there, like the tuition rate's going to be three times what it is, you know, for somebody who lives in Arizona. Not so public anymore. Right. It's 40 to 50000 dollars all in to be a freshman at the University of Arizona if you're coming from out of state, right? That's including room and board and everything else, but still that's a almost fifty thousand dollar price tag for a public university, you know. So when was the first time that cost and affordability kind of came up in the conversation for you guys? Like was it after admissions? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think you know, again, so so take a step back, right? Like filled out the FAFSA on October 1st, <laughs> checked that box, completed the FAFSA, got that information right away. Was she, she disappointed she only gets to do it once a year? Oh, yes, yeah, she was gutted. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so. Most, well, most students had, are. But I, but I will tell you, she did the application. I sat in the same room as her. She filled out the application. She asked me several questions. You know, again, there's a lot of myths around how hard it is to complete the FAFSA, but the fact is, it's an electronic form. It's a guided form. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody answers those 108 questions that Senator Alexander always holds up on the piece of paper, right? I know. And where she had questions, I provided the answers, but she filled out the form. And California, the state of California is really good as well about being very proactive and letting people know uh, what they're eligible for or in terms of Cal Grant as well, mm-hmm. too, right? So, uh, so she knew pretty early on in the process, if I go to a University of California school, here's how much of a Cal Grant uh, I can expect to get. If I go to a Cal State school, this is what I'll get. If I go to a California community college, this is what I would get, right? Or if I went to some other school, you know, private school. So, so she had a lot of transparency, which, uh, again, you would think would help, but it's like, uh, it's only half the it's only half the picture, right? And so, to answer your question, you know, we didn't really get into the cost conversation until we decided where she wanted to go or where she was going to go, right? And we had a couple schools that we're looking at, and you get a notification letters, and you realize, okay, you get these institutional grants. Uh, you know, you're going to get the the Cal grant. You're going to get this much in unsubsidized student loans, and here's your out-of-pocket expense. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first time, it wasn't until the spring that we actually even had cost conversation, which again, is probably not how you're supposed to do this, right? If you ask any policymaker, we don't want people like thinking about paying for college in the spring. We want people thinking in their junior year, right? Isn't that what what you're supposed to do in your junior year? You're supposed to be using net price calculators and and thinking about how much schools cost and you're supposed yes. to do this everywhere along the way. And that's just not how it unfolded for us. Right. And it wasn't that cost wasn't a concern. It, you know, I mean, obviously it was, it's, it's a part of the equation, but it just, it just didn't rear its head until, you know, a time it, it, 
eventually became the alligator closest to our butt. Mm. So, so once you start, started having some of those conversations, maybe what were what were some of her perceptions or views on cost in the funding process that were just that were I don't know if I want to say that they were surprising to you. And I, I don't <laughs> I don't also don't want to I don't want to make it out like she had no clue. But what things what assumptions did she make about the cost and financing process where you had to be like, that's not the way this works. I was about to say, like, listen, before you go any further, let me stop and throw my own daughter slightly under the bus here because, <laughs> you know, for, for someone she's 17. She is, she's 17. And for someone who you know, mathematically has done well throughout her entire K-12 schooling experience. Like understanding equivalence relations apparently was not anywhere in her curriculum because she would look at some of these college and she's like, oh, it's only 30,000 a year. Oh, it's only 45,000 a year. I'm like, why are you saying, oh, before all of these things? Like, like this is somehow magically inexpensive because it's only this. Like, um, and so that, this was also, it was a wake up experience, right? It's a wake up experience because you do realize that, um, you know, children, um, traditional students who are going to college, right, are just, um, they're financially just ill prepared to think about the college investment. They need parents, they need trust mm-hmm. advisors, they need somebody to help keep them financially balanced in this process because uh, it's really hard to equate the value of like, a college experience to what you have to pay for it. Right. Yeah. And so for my daughter to see like only, this is only $30,000 a year. Like the first obvious question is right. Like, okay. Even if you just spent just four years in college, that's 120,000 bucks. Could you possibly comprehend $120,000? Right. And chances are, it's going to take you five, possibly even six years. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that cascades into like, Hey, here's how much money you're probably going to earn after you leave college. And like, Hey, you know that summer job that you have right now? Think about how much money you earn every week and think about how hard it'd be to pay back 120,000 bucks. And yeah, that the whole it, it becomes a whole teaching exercise in its own right because she doesn't understand the concepts of investments, long long-run investments in her future and short-run costs. And so, uh, it was a struggle. It's uh it's really hard because we had to ground her, you know, both her mother and I and help her understand that like, there's lots of schools out there that offer similar experiences at different price points. And mm-hmm. you know, these are the things that you, as an adult, you find yourself having to weigh when you make these decisions. So it was a, it was a teaching and learning exercise for her as well. And I don't want to say that she thought money grows on trees, but like, I do think she has this sense of like, well, you know, how do people go to college then? Right. If these yeah. things are so expensive and when you're 17, you know, she doesn't understand she, I mean, she understood even loans, like, you know, it's like, okay, well, I can get a loan to go to college. But then when she got her financial aid award letter, she's like, well, the loan is only this much. I was mm-hmm. like, hey, welcome to my world yeah. as, <laughs> to solve this problem on a daily basis. So, um, so it was so a struggle. How, it was hard. How easy, how, how much did the financial aid offer letter help her understand the affordability of a particular college? or hinder her understanding of the particular affordability of the college? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's a really good question because I know, and it wasn't on my list, so you couldn't have even prepped for it. No, I think it's a good it's it's a good question because I think what it did is it forced the uncomfortable discussion about what do you do about the gap, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be some gap financing that has to be covered. And there are different ways to cover it. One is that I and her mother could pay for it, or another is that we could take out loans to pay for it, um, and another was scholarships. You know, we had the discussion of like, hey, we really think you should be applying for scholarships, right? Like, we're happy to help. We're happy to contribute. Um, but why should we contribute if you could get scholarship money? Right. Those are resources that can be used for other things for the family down the road if we don't have to spend them on college. And you have a sister, by the way, who's going to be a junior this <laughs> year anyway. So, um, but, you know, for her, it was just like, oh, well, this is really easy. Like, there's a gap to be financed and my parents will figure this out. And it's like, well you know, maybe you should start by searching for scholarships. And maybe if that well runs dry, we'll think about how we can contribute. But, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of ownership in your college education will probably make you value it in a different way as well, too. And so we yeah. pushed her hard to apply for scholarships and to seek out scholarships. And, you know, if you want us to help you, you know, we're happy to help you, but we want to help somebody who's trying to help themselves, not yeah. just somebody who is expecting that they're they're going to be helped just because I'm your dad and your mom's your So two questions. Mm-hmm. One, so don't I'm let me scared forget. of all your questions. <laughs> don't let me forget. I want to ask you about scholarships. But yeah. first of all, as you as you were looking at the offer, was it really clear to her how much the gap was? And beyond that, were your open funding options clearly outlined, like, did, if you didn't know what you know, would the next steps have been really clear to to someone else or were they not even clear to you? Yeah. Those are, those are two good questions. You know, one, um, the, the, the out-of-pocket expense does not pop off the page, right? It's Mm. not in blinking lights so that you can see, you still kind of have to get down to it. You probably have to squint your eyes a little bit to realize what exactly you're looking at to confirm it is what it is. Was it in white ink on white paper? (laughs) It was in tan ink on white paper. That's right. And in like six point font. It was so weird. Um, (laughs) But um, no, I mean, it was, it was findable. Right. But it's not like, again, when you think about the purpose of an award letter or an award notification, you think like, you know, what you're truly interested in is not the cost that it's going to be, but the cost that you have to cover, right? Yeah. You know that number. So, um, you know, but in terms of the options to pay for it, right? Like, it's hard for me to assess how good her letter was, um, the letters that she got, uh, just because I'm an expert in these things and because I understand what the options are. And it's hard for me to put on my, I'm unfamiliar with this hat, right? Mm. And look at it through those eyes. Um, you know, they all the all the offer letters she got described plus loans and private loans and 529 money and work study and you know okay. all, all those all those options that you can provide. You know, there none of them none of them explain that you could use them in combination with each other. Mm. None of them explain that one should be swapped out for the other, right? And I can see where that would get really confusing. Right. Yeah. For, for a less well-versed parent. I, I like to say that financial aid is like a buffet. 
you can take, you can take a little of this. You can take a lot of that. You can skip this and only take that, or you can just take a little bit of everything. Um, and I think that's part of what makes it actually more complex. That's, ex- that's exactly right. Cause like you can, you can take little bits here and there and everywhere. You just have to remember, you can only take what you can fill on the plate. Right. <laughs> so like, you know, you're I stu- need six plates. <laughs> right. Exactly. And unfortunately you only get one plate. So, oh. uh, so yeah, so it was, it was, again, it was, it was fairly apparent to figure out like what as a family we were going to have to contribute. Um, but it was not readily apparent how we as a family were going to decide how to cover that. And again, part of that was the scholarship discussion. Part of that comes, you know, is living in a divorced household. Part of that is, you know, choosing to instill values in somebody about paying for something on their own versus mm-hmm. paid for. Uh, it's a it's a complex dance. And again, it's a complex dance. And this is, you know, for all intents and purposes, like we're doing this under a pretty fully informed scenario because I have experience with this process. So. Yep. So what challenges did you guys face in the financial aid process or the funding journey? What stood out kind of as a surprise or a roadblock or was a more difficult component than you were expecting? Yeah. So, I mean, one, you know, Emily was selected for verification, right? And so there were some hiccups during the verification process. She was getting notifications from the school saying, hey, you're selected for verification. You You should have waited. If you had just, if you had just delayed and and not done what we were supposed to on time, they could have waived it. All these years of like telling everybody that my procrastination strategy works and the one time I try to be proactive and it Uh fails us. But, um, you know, there were some technological hiccups though, because, uh, you know, when she had filled out the FAFSA, she had originally, you know, we we had self-reported some parent data, um, but then we went back and used the, um, the IRS, you know, the direct or the data retrieval tool Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the fact that she still got selected and, you know, it was kind of weird and kind of like just a hiccup and annoyance more than anything, you know, in addition to being told like that you've been selected for verification, there's always the constant reminder in there that like, hey, uh, you need to get this done before tuition bill is due. You need to get this done before, you know, the fall semester starts, because here's what happens if you don't. right? Right. And so and again, like I understand the reason why that. Uh, it's not really a threat, but, you know, that assertion gets made, right? You know, but um, it put a lot of stress on my daughter. She's getting these emails saying, I have to get this done immediately because they're saying this and they're saying that, you know, so that was one hiccup. Um, I think the bigger hiccup, funny enough, has been like here at the end game, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, right, like, we're several weeks out from her going to school. She's going to move into her residence hall and she's picked her classes. And I know that there's a tuition bill due in a couple of weeks, um, but I don't know how to pay it. <laughs> right. Like nobody's, nobody's told me yet, like, okay, we're going to subtract her grant aid and her Cal grant and, you know, all her other stuff and that you're going to get some residual bill for the residence hall. Like I know yeah. not about any of that to this point. I just know that there's an outstanding bill to be paid. I know there's financial aid out there in the form of 
again, grants and loans that she's going to use to pay for this. But I don't know how to settle the bill, like because nobody's explained to me. I've just been told there's a deadline to pay the bill. Right. And I think, okay, well, there's a deadline to pay the bill. But then I look at how much tuition and fees was on the aid letter and I look at the Cal grant. And I'm like, well, technically, maybe there shouldn't be a bill, right? Like, shouldn't tuition and fees largely be covered anyway? Like, but the point is, is I haven't really had good communication with the school. And what's important about that is, like, I shouldn't have communication with the school because they're not communicating with me. They're communicating with an 18-year-old, right? Right. That's the big challenge here. And that's one of the big things that I think we forget is that you know, all of this communication happens between the school and an 18 year old or mm-hmm. a year old or a 20 year old, right? Parents play a major role in this process, uh, but they also play a distanced role because all the official communication, all the official acknowledgements, all the processing uh, doesn't happen. They're, they're not, they're only as notified and aware as their child makes them aware. True. And, and, and when, when for our traditional students, mom and dad are settling that bill so often, there there's a bit of a gap there. Yeah, exactly. So like, if you think about this thing from like, from the moment that the journey started until today, we had questions about figuring out what college we were going to go to. Um, we ended up thinking about the cost component much later in the process. We still had uncomfortable conversations about how to pay the bill. We still had to understand the award letter and try and figure out, you know, what we had to pay and how we were going to pay it. And mm-hmm. we, still, even at this point, haven't figured out how to actually pay it, right? And so again, here we are in this situation where we've ostensibly tried to do everything right and are fortunate enough to have, you know, folks who have gone through college before. Mm-hmm having a parent who even understands in depth of, you know, the college financing experience. And it wasn't an easy journey for us. It was still, it was still a journey marked with detours and pauses and, you know, hiccups along the way. And so you think, man, if, if that happens for me and a family in my situation, think about how it happens for millions of people who don't have strong parent, you know, backgrounds. Yeah. Or, you know, any, any number of other things that would be an advantage to helping a student decide where they're going to go to school or decide how they're going to pay for it. Yep. So three more questions for you. Two of them are rapid fire. Shoot. What was the most disappointing component of your experience of engaging with one of the, the colleges that she looked at over the last year? Um, it would probably be the recruiting process. It would definitely be some of the recruiting literature I got because I looked at the stuff and I was like, come on, like I've been to these campuses. This doesn't look like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is not real. This is not true. Okay. And what was the most positive or what did what did some of these schools do really well that you were surprised at how well they did? So one of the schools, the school she actually eventually selected um, once she was accepted and um, admitted, uh, they did a great job of communicating with her after the fact. Uh, you know, here's your personalized counselor. If you have any questions about mm-hmm. the board, you can contact this person at this email and this phone number, and this person will walk you through these things and talk you through these things. Um, they made it really easy. I think they recognized, like, hey, there's going to be questions. You're going to have uh, 
Um, you're, you're not going to understand everything. Here's a dedicated resource for you. And they put it up front. Concierge. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it was great. Like it, it put her mind at ease and frankly put mine at ease as well. Love that. Okay. Yeah. Now we both know that, and the same thing is true for me, as I'm about to say for you, that you have no, um, no short list of opinions about higher education and the financing journey and what the federal sure. government should do better and colleges should do better. How has your perception of the financial aid system or processes changed after going through this as a dad? Like, is there is there a belief that you held, you know, 14 months ago that now you're like, oh, maybe I need to rethink that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think the answer is, is, you know, 14 months ago, I probably was of the impression that there was a clear path forward that somebody could follow all the steps, do everything right and have an experience unfold, right? And have Mm -hmm. a good one. And now after experiencing the process myself, like I just don't see how, I don't see how any family doesn't struggle at at least some point, right? Like there's no, there's no spot in the entire process that I can't imagine at least some fraction of families just having a hard time with. And when you think about how many millions of people have to do this every single year, Mm -hmm. about how many different fragmented points in that process there are, like you're literally, you, you can't conclude anything other than the fact that like, millions of families are going to be confused and disrupted and struggling at different points, different phases. And like all of that is what kind of drives the antagonism we have towards, you know, going to college and buying college and you know, making college affordable today. So I'm, I am far more pessimistic and I wish more than anything else for simplicity now, mm-hmm. uh, now that I've experienced myself. Simplicity would do so much to ease ease the student's mind, ease the parent's mind. They can't, can't stress it enough. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you for opening up your, your family and personal experience through, through financial aid this time around with us. I think it's, to your point, I just want to leave people with the fact that the, the shopping and funding journey for, for college is so complex that we really need to use every opportunity to cut through that complexity, to make the process easier, removing friction for students and parents as they navigate the journey, as well as what the one takeaway that that I really heard was around the personal interaction and that concierge service of making sure that Emily had access to, you know, high level information, but when she needed someone to be able to answer very personalized questions for her, there was a resource available to be able to do that and assist her through that, through that journey. And, you know, and so I think that, that those are things that we all need to keep in mind as we, as we come back in to a brand new cycle that's about to kick off here. And we're about to send everybody back to college in August and start hardcore recruitment efforts of the new class and the opening of the FAFSA on October 1. So it's really a great time for people to, 
to take some time and evaluate their systems and their processes and figure out how to make them easier on students and parents to ensure that we can enroll, retain, and graduate more students while eliminating those that fall out of the system, um, especially those that, that attend have some debt but no degree. Yeah. So hope everybody uh, was able to, to take something away from, from Carlo's journey. And we would love for you to follow along to, to gain notices about new episodes like this episode. Share it with your friends, family, and loved ones. And we look forward to seeing you next time around.